Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud, we kind of worked our way back into our schedule for podcasts for our listeners out the front of the week. Uh, all sorts of things to talk about tonight. Uh, have some new commitments uh, as of uh, this afternoon. Have uh, our thoughts that we can kind of give jointly as to what exactly is going on in the landscape of college football and some of the uh, conference realignment that tends to seemingly rears its head about once every uh, six to eight years. And it uh, looks like we are back in the thick of things. Uh, as always, we will thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana Hot Sauce, great sponsor for us, Tarpon Cellars, a uh, great wine company that we've been able to circle back, partner with for a uh, second time. Fantastic wine. I actually gave a bottle of their cab to uh, one of my dad's lifelong best friends, who's a little bit of connoisseur on the subject matter and uh, received a text from him raving about the wine and asking uh, more about it. So it's a, it's great stuff. People that were ever so fortunate to be able to work with, and you can go to tarpensellers.com. Uh, coupon code NOLCAST, I believe is worth 20% off. Awesome, man. That is, that is fantastic. And I, I know my wife really likes Tarpon Cellars as well. So let's go ahead and get into tonight's good news, man. A little, uh, little commitment action with, with the visits opening back up for, for the Knowles. A little commits going on and, uh, and two today. Two really nice commits and, uh, you know, commitments are always great and gets the fan base excited. But my Lord, the amount of people uh, that came through happened to see a, a guy that was a pretty decent linebacker in the day with his son. That was a great thing to see Marvin Jones and Marvin Jones Jr. walking around campus. I jokingly told you that it seemed like 20% of Grayson High School's roster was down in Tallahassee today. Uh, just an awful lot going on. But yeah, let's start with the two commitments uh, along the line of scrimmage and we will uh, work our way out from there. Sure. So the first one being uh, Daughtry Richardson, offensive lineman from Miami Central High School, six foot four, 284 pounds, 83 inch wingspan, which is like a plus, what is that, a plus six, plus seven? I think I'm doing that in my head. Because yeah, the six foot is, uh, is 72 inches. So uh, plus the four, 76, 83 minus 76. Yeah, plus seven. Uh, yeah, got that right. Uh, a couple of episodes ago, we did not do the in-the-head in math live on air very well. So this is a prospect that a lot of schools out there wanted, including the Miami Hurricanes. We did a podcast about three or four weeks ago when he was on his visit to Miami. And I said, I'm actually upping my crystal ball confidence in Richardson right now on the air uh, because I just was getting some very good feedback about what FSU was hearing even while he was on that visit. And uh, yeah, man. He ultimately pops good relationship with Alex Atkins. Uh, Richardson, of course, used to live in Tallahassee. He played for Godby a couple of years ago. Now he plays for Miami Central. Uh, but a really nice-looking offensive line prospect will be a tackle at the next level due to that length. Like a good athlete, not necessarily a freak athlete, but somebody who uh, I think the upside is a player who profiles as a multi-year starter. And that's, that's really what we want. Interesting to see what's going on here. We've mentioned a couple times that, uh, you know, they're going to take a lot of guys uh, to an extent. They're going to allow some of the competition here uh, to take place before anybody ever gets on campus. And uh, they're not done at offensive line. Uh, but Richardson's a really nice pickup. I'll give you credit for your crystal ball and increasing your crystal ball uh, a month ago or so. And uh, Richardson's a guy that everybody always felt fairly confident about, but great to get a commitment from a kid. And uh, another, you know, I don't want to make too much out of this, but certainly another, 
win over the University of Miami on the recruiting trail. So you can't, uh, you know, don't ever get tired of that. And Richardson's another big body that uh, you're excited about adding to the program. Let's just check this out uh, because FSU does typically not have too many offensive linemen committed. This is not a problem that we are used to having. I'm not really sure how we handle this. I'm going to handle it just by reading down the list. Uh, so currently, the Knowles and Tavius Woody, who's kind of an interior guy, although he actually has probably the longest wingspan uh, out, out of a lot of these kids relative to his height. Quayshon Sapp, also an interior player. Alu Ba, who is either a guard or a tackle, depending on your opinions on him. I, I think more of a guard, but I won't rule out tackle for Ba. Uh, D- Richardson, obviously, offensive tackle all the way, in my opinion. And, uh, and also Kaniah Charlton, a player who I, I like a little bit more than his composite ranking, as we discussed a couple, uh, couple episodes ago. So that is, if you're scoring at home, one, two, three, four, five offensive linemen committed. And Ingram, there are still some big names left on this board, man. Yeah, certain kid from Columbus, Georgia, keeps making his way uh, to campus. He was there again today. Uh, the, the Pritchett kid I'm referencing there, and uh, they certainly have the had the kid from Auburn, Alabama, high on their board as well. There's there's probably more names to come, and uh, yeah, like you said, we'll probably see a defection at this position just because it's a numbers game, and and I don't know that that's not. I'm not necessarily saying that they're trying to run somebody out of class, but this is a, a need that they're looking to address with numbers. And you're right, this is kind of uncharted territory that we're sitting here talking about. Uh, the amount of commitments and the uh, you know the fact that your board is as full as it is and it's a hey it's a great thing and uh, all the more credit to Alex Atkins for the job that he's done and certainly had a uh, really good year last year on the recruiting trail uh, getting a guy like Rod Orr was great but some of the some of the things that we thought were good were um, examples where he was coming in second or third where we didn't think Florida State was necessarily going to be competitive at all and we were curious as to if you could extrapolate making up ground with kids, uh, coming in second or third, developing relationships with kids, if that would turn uh, to commitments as you got more familiar with prospects and prospects got more familiar with you. And uh, Alex Atkins has not slowed down on the recruiting trail one bit at all. So uh, credit to him for the job that he's done. And as a Florida State fan, it's awfully exciting to see as many big bodies that have been gathered along the line of scrimmage as have so far. So we, we like FSU for early come August 2nd. That would get him to six. They seem to have really good momentum with Harris, who at this point, I think you have to consider FSU potentially the leader for. Um, we'll see how much that holds with Pritchett. And they're still doing a nice job with Armella. Ingram, how in the hell are they going to sign eight or nine offensive linemen? Yeah, um, ultimately, they're probably not. But uh, it certainly is, is great that they have as many options as they do and they're going to take a full class, as we've said uh, for a couple months now, maybe a, a couple extras, and you know, maybe you do, maybe you mess around and sign seven here. Uh, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be fascinating to see. But uh, you're right; they are certainly on their way to having uh, having quite the group and, and quite the numbers. Uh, you know, being being allocated towards an offensive line position that I'm sure the vast vast majority of the fan base will. Uh, We'll look at this as uh, not necessarily a turning point, and that all the concerns are uh, have been, you know, quashed and quelled. Uh, but you've certainly taken a massive step with this class, and will give you an opportunity to, you know, mold shape and work with kids over a couple of years and, and form an offensive line that people have long been 
long been since uh, looking for in these parts. You ever seen Star Wars? I'm not a big, uh, I, I can tell you straight face, I've never seen Star Wars or Star Trek of any kind. I've never seen Star Trek. Uh, I could probably name a character or two just from like seeing memes and cultural references. Uh, but there's this guy named the Emperor in, in Star Wars. I think he was Darth Vader's dad. I'm not a huge Star Wars guy, but like I've seen the movies. And I remember a quote, like he, he said a quote and it's kind of famous one. He says, everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. Uh, and as to the topic of offensive line recruiting, uh, I believe we have just been calling it. Like this is just going exactly. And, and if you're an FSU fan out there, uh, you want us to keep being right because this is going extremely well. Uh, I agree with you. They will not be signing uh, eight offensive linemen. I think six is the number. Could they find a way to take seven? I have a difficult time seeing it, but I, I won't say no, uh, like never. Just like, but, but with eight, I will say they will not be taking eight offensive linemen uh, or signing them at least. It would not shock me at all to see it, them get up to eight or even nine verbal commitments. And then we'll find out who is going to drop out because they perceive themselves as being unlikely to get playing time? Uh, who might get poached away for an offer that they feel uh, is a better offer? We yeah. still have the it, we, we, we still have the issue with Woody. Will he qualify? Th- this will get whittled down. The numbers will take care of themselves here, uh, but it's a real testament to Alex Atkins. And by the way, uh, I was told uh, a lot of people are like, "Hey, you got to lock up Alex Atkins," and um, I was told that's already done. By the way. I think I don't we mentioned this on a show about four weeks ago or so. I, I think we have, uh, I, I believe, I'm almost certain because people have asked me about it. I, I think we mentioned about a month ago that there is a uh, deal in place and or perhaps just hasn't been announced or something like that. But uh, no, I believe that's been taken care of and certainly appropriately so. A man that uh, deserves a contract extension if uh, if there ever was an example of one so far. The best hire by Mike Norbell so far? Well, I mean, if we're sitting here in four years and talking about uh, Travis Hunter being one of the best players in the 15 years, then Woodson's going to be in conversation too. But hey, uh, both guys are certainly, you know, carrying the weight on on one side of the ball and the other so far. Absolutely right. Uh, So next prospect uh, who committed today is Daniel Lyons. Really nice defensive tackle prospect from Homestead. Uh, Speaking of Homestead, of course, if you would like to purchase a new home or refi your home, give Shannon and Chad a call, 844-FSU-LOAN. It's 844-FSU-LOAN. Awesome time there. Guys with great rates, customer service, track record. I think we're closing in on 170 NOLCAST listeners who have decided to get their mortgage or their refi through the legendary team. And they're happy to announce they are also now licensed in Tennessee. So Florida, Georgia, Tennessee also approved I know some people are tweeting at them about South Carolina. I think Chad favorited that tweet. So I don't know if that means that they're approved there. We'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and see. But uh, they're rapidly expanding. You guys are super loyal to them. We appreciate it every time you call 844-FSU-LOAN. Get that awesome experience. So uh, back to talking about Lions here. And, and the clicking you heard, I think, was Ingram deleting the uh, the ad read part that we were going to transition to later. I just I, I saw the word homestead. It's too had, easy. Had to go for it's, it. It's too perfect. Absolutely. <laughs> Physically, almost a carbon copy of Dr. Richardson, dude. 6'4", 285, so one pound heavier. Uh, 82-inch wingspan. Mm. That's a plus six. Yeah, Solid quickness. I think he's a good prospect. I like the upside on him. Uh, Technique-wise, he's not great so far. I think sometimes he plays a little bit high, but he does flash. Uh, I, I, I saw both these guys down there at the Miami Under Armour camp, and I, I thought both 
performed well uh, and flashed some some upside ability. They, they are both far from polished prospects. I don't necessarily think they are they are early impact guys, but they are guys who, again, like I said with Richardson, I believe if you develop them well, if they stay healthy, if things go right, uh, they do have the ability to be starters. I think on what FSU fans hope this team looks like in a couple of years. Are they starters on a national title type team? I don't know. Are they starters on a team that is beginning to maybe win eight or nine or 10 games and start to be talked about more in the upper crust of the ACC conversation yet again? I think that's entirely possible. I think they could both help if they hit FSU to take the next step. I know Miami was in on Lions. There are Some of their fans will tell you they had some guys uh, higher, but there's no doubt that uh, FSU went into South Florida and took two uh, you know, fairly high-profile prospects out of South Florida who were uh, who were coveted by a lot of schools out there. Really good job by Atkins and Odell and the whole crew, really. Clint, obviously, doing a nice job th- down there. I think Bartow helped out as well. No, a good prospect uh, that you you can feel comfortable you know working with over time. Uh, I think it's just a, a nice, solid pickup. I'm not going to get too out over my skis. You covered more or less uh, about the physical upside. We'll need a little bit of work from a coaching standpoint, but hey, that's you know that's what you can say about the vast majority of kids. Uh, yeah, another good add to a class that uh, we can get to the rest of the prospects on the board here. And they, they came in and visited. Florida State's now up seventh in the country. It's not a uh, you know, it's not a massive deal, uh, and we'll certainly see where they where they fall uh, in the final rankings. But you know, this is a this is a class that they have some numbers to throw at, as we've long since talked about, and uh, they keep getting really solid pieces, and still have some nice pieces left on the board. Uh, that you know, that that top ten recruiting class, you can certainly see a path to where that can become a legitimate thing at this point. So, uh, really great class. Uh, as it appears, uh, a class that if Mike Norvell and company were going to have success in Tallahassee, uh, they really needed to kind of hit it out of the park. And uh, by you know, by all counts, today was a, another step in that direction. One hundred percent agree with you there, uh, and they still have a lot of upside left in this class. Like we mentioned, they, they they still have Harris on the board, they still have Pritchett on the board, they still have Armella. They also still have some major players on the defensive side of the football on the board. They're now looking a hell of a lot better at defensive tackle. Than they were about a month ago with Bishop Thomas and Daniel Lyons. I, I think this is, to be quite frank here, uh, about as well as they could do at the defensive tackle position for this year. That is a premium position. It is not a spot where guys often take a chance on rebuilding teams. Like, no doubt, studs don't typically go to rebuilding teams. Uh, we'll, we'll figure out what happens with, with Walter Nolan if this Tennessee stuff is real, but. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there's more going on there than I <laughs> than I realize uh, on on that one. But they're at 17 commitments right now. I think if I set the over under at the number of the 17 who will be in the final class at 13, you're going over or under. I'll I'll go with over. I, I think they hold. There'll be a couple defections, like we've said, uh, but on the whole, I, I think they hold most of those kids. Was it close for you? Like I, I said, a bad number there. You think? Oh, uh, I don't think it's a bad number. I'm, I might have had, I might have put it at uh, you know fourteen and a half or something like that. Okay. At least in my opinion. But uh, no, that's that's kind of where you I you can tell me it's a bad number, man. Like like if you have it at fourteen and a half, and I go thirteen, like that's that, that's a snap call over. 
but I, I, I think you, you, that makes me a bad number on me. I think, I think 14, 14 and a half is, is fair as well. You know who came back on campus today? Man, uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Marvin Jones fanboy. I've got a Marvin Jones, uh, a poster behind me as we sit here and record tonight. And uh, anytime I see that guy's a, a fun memory of, of uh, what I believe is the best college linebacker to play in the last 30 or 40 years. And his son was there. So that's uh, that's great and good to see him roll up uh, with his dad, made his way to campus with his mom, what, six or seven weeks ago. I feel more confident about it. You know, I mean, I still think that, uh, I think you've made up a lot of ground over the last two months. I'll put it that way. I, I think, uh, you know, you're very much in the thick of things and you've only, you've only helped your cause. And he's, you know, I'm not telling you, the listener, anything you probably don't know. Uh, this is going to go the, the whole route. Uh, and you're just going to have to be as competitive as you can on the field and continue to tell, uh, sell this kid that he's a real change agent. And Oh, by the way, you're going to come in with a, a class of, uh, you know, three or four other real change agents and the defensive side of the football has a chance to be, uh, the place where the, you know, the youth movement is, is first seen. Uh, so I'm, I am slightly more confident about uh, Marvin Jones Jr., but not, uh, you know, not, not blowing smoke full of optimism either. So I think FSU feels like they have done about as good of a job as you can do here. But Petrus is a good recruiter. He has a good relationship with, with, with Jones Jr. I know FSU has, I don't want to say made up ground, but, but established a good relationship. Uh, with his mom as well. Obviously, Marvin Jones Sr. knows a whole heck of a lot about the Knowles. This is not me saying they're going to get Jones Jr. I do not know what is going to happen in this recruitment. This is one of those ones that you're going to have to fight the big boys. You know what I mean? Like the best of the best. Yeah, they, the they big want... boys with with their best sales pitch too. I mean, yeah. they're, you're, you're, there's no... Uh... You're not going to luck your way into Jones Jr. making your way onto campus because somebody else gets full or anything else. No, I mean you're going to have to battle, and it'll be a great barometer as to as to where the program is. And look, if you grab one of these major pieces remaining on the defensive side of the ball, then I can, as you know, I can start to understand some some real real excitement about what the future holds. And uh, hopefully, if you're a Florida State fan, Jones Jr. is a, a very big part of that. So. When I'm talking about fighting the big boys right now in recruiting, I would define those as basically Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Georgia. Now, maybe a little bit of Oklahoma there, depending on, on what you think. Certainly LSU for anybody in the state of Louisiana, East Texas, or you know, like Mobile. Yeah, yeah if you're in the I-10 corridor, definitely. Yeah. Um, but that's really it. And so if you think about that, who are, are the prospects uh, for whom FSU has landed the commitment already that it had to fight like the Death Star? Travis Hunter, clearly, because everybody in the country wants him, and Sam McCall. They have done a really good job, in my opinion, really good job of landing kids who are in that sort of 200 to 450 range, like we talked about. They literally had the players in the nation ranked 450, 451, 452. 453 and 462. That's a really good job. We know those guys, oftentimes, their hit rate is pretty similar to the kid ranked 200-ish, historically. There's a drop-off in the t- and kind of a flattening of the talent curve there. That's just what, what, what the facts say. They have done a good job of this. Like, Could Aaron Hester get a bump in the rankings? Maybe, maybe not. 
Could Dodger, could Richardson? Certainly. Could Lions? I think so. Yeah. I mean, is Thomas? Probably not. I don't even know if he's going to play his senior year. You know, Mortimer, maybe. But are any of those guys going to be bumped to like top 100, top 150 prospects? Most likely not. And that's, that's okay. If you're FSU, right? You are trying to hit that sweet spot and you're doing a really good job. And then you got to really pick your battles for the top 100 type kids, the top 150 type kids, and especially like the top 50 type players that you have uh, in the class. Jones Jr. is just one of those guys. You're, you're, you're fighting that battle. We'll see. It's not nearly as easy as some of the, some of the, the battles that I would say you have smartly ch- chosen to fight and so far have done a nice job of winning. Another battle that I don't think is going to be easy to win, but it's a hell of a sign that, that the kid showed back up on campus today, is Travion Williams. And look, getting Travion Williams there is a big deal. 250 in, in the 24-7 sports composite. I think he still has significant upside uh, to, to rise if he has a big-time senior year. It's a kid who plays quarterback in high school at you know, 6'3 and a quarter, 255, with I think a 78 or 79-inch wing. I mean, that's a, that's a really big deal. Getting him back on campus for a Mississippi kid, if you if FSU gets him back on campus, what? Two more times? You got to feel pretty good? Do you yeah. feel really good at one more time? Uh, I, the number I had as soon as you said that was two. I mean, I, I love that you get him back. Like you said, that's a that's a kid that, you know, as soon as you get to commit to you, you want to kind of just make sure that sonar keeps pinging back in your direction, uh, to metaphorically speak. And great to see him back on campus. And yeah, that's a kid that, you know, hopefully you can get him back in uh, before season starts. And then I'm sure he'll be in for, you know, one of the higher profile home games. Who else do we need to talk about here? Uh, a lot of good videos, by the way, from uh, on, on you know, Brian Courtney and uh, great coverage today from Josh Newberg and Zach Blostein at Knowles 24-7. You can check it out on the website, Knowles247.com and also uh, on, on their social media. Uh, FSU thinks they've got a gem in Brian Courtney. I'm a little interested to see what he actually measured in at. I know last November he was six foot three, 223 pounds. There are people who will tell you he's a lot bigger now, so we'll, we'll see how much he's grown. What else? What else do you think about the recruiting uh, weekend? In-state linebacker Grayson Howard. Uh, oh, the twenty-three and, uh, kid. Yeah, yeah, he was there. He had a he had a couple twenty-three linebackers that, that caught my attention. But uh, yeah, Howard Howard's one another kid that was back on campus. It's a good sign. I believe he he might be a valedictorian as well type type player. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if it's the same kid, uh, yeah, the, the the guy from from the Jacksonville area who I met at the Orlando. Uh, not the Under Armour camp, but the underclassmen camp. Yeah, really impressive kid. I, I think that's somebody uh, who FSU will continue to do a nice job with. So that was that was big. Speed of Grayson, like I said in the opener, ton, tons of it, well, tons of kids from all over the uh, the Georgia and Florida region, but uh, tons of kids from the Metro Atlanta Grayson High School. It's certainly you, in all likelihood, a byproduct, or at least Kenyatta Watson helps in that effort. I'll put it that way. Uh, so I don't think that's something that's going to turn into an immediate commitment, but uh, some great seven on teams there that he's got a relationship with. And if that pays dividends, it'll probably be more the 23, 24 class, but uh, good to go ahead and see as many kids make their way down to Tallahassee from the Atlanta areas. They did today as well. No, no doubt about it there. Also, I do want to talk about efficiency and picking your spots. And we just talked about picking your spots with players, right? And FSU is not trying to do this thing where they 
I got to take my words carefully here. Somebody will take me out of context for sure. So at least get, give them something good to take out of context. FSU is certainly trying to, to sign top 100 prospects where the relationship dictates that they'll have a legitimate shot. Barring that, they are trying to find guys who they can actually sign in the sweet spot because there's really no prize for second place. Although, as you noted with Atkins, you can get a good read on somebody's recruiting ability if you're staying in a recruitment, even if uh, even if you may not ultimately land the kid. I think in, in a similar vein, uh, Tallahassee is not an easy place to get to. There are two main weekends right now in July uh, and you know, basically through August 1st where recruiting visits are allowed. And FSU chose to have its recruiting weekend this weekend. A lot of schools have pushed it to next weekend. For a variety of factors, I think this makes sense. Number one, you kind of want to, sure, you may want to get the last visit before uh, the fall football season starts. And that's, that's fair. That's good consideration. But the competition for getting the kids on campus next weekend is going to be much stiffer as more uh, top-level programs are hosting their kids on that day. So I think this was a, a kind of exploiting a market inefficiency here by hosting it on this weekend as opposed to, to the next weekend with, with doing Shimano Showcase. Makes a lot of sense. I also think that because of the difficulty of getting to Tallahassee as far as driving time, uh, this also makes some sense to me. It is, I think, hard. Like if you had to miss Monday, right, or if you got back late on Sunday night, you may not want to do that with with your fall football starting on Monday for high school football practice, conditioning, or whatnot. Um, you know, meaning next Monday, not today. If you're listening to this you know, Monday morning, the uh, the twenty sixth. So I think as far as easy ease of getting to Tallahassee, it also made sense to do it on this weekend. So I, you know, nice job by the staff there. I think there's some some decent stuff. They still have to go out and win some ball games. Uh, but you know, if they do manage to make a bowl game, I, I think they could be the first team to you know, have a six and six type record and you know and and have a top ten class. That's that's something that hasn't been done. All right, bud. So uh <laughs> should we turn our attention to the changing, perhaps rapidly changing landscape of college football. Uh, so uh, last week, while everybody's at media days and uh, doing their thing, start to see reports of Texas and Oklahoma having contact with the SEC. Uh, that quickly shifts to not planning on, uh, you know, partaking in conference calls or whatever else. And then all of a sudden, it seemed like in five days, we jumped to the point of Texas and Oklahoma potentially joining the SEC as close as uh, as the year 2022. So um, obviously would be a monumental shift in uh, in college football and would, um, you know, be something exceptionally significant and would be a, a landscape changer. Conference realignment is always an interesting subject matter. It, uh, it from a like content creator perspective, it draws numbers that very few subject uh, matters do. I mean, it, it, people get people, you know, consume themselves with it, and it's uh, it's interesting to see. So um, let's just talk. I don't. We don't really have necessarily a roadmap as to what we're going to say here, but uh, a lot of different things. Obviously, if you're a Florida State fan, it doesn't sit particularly well with you to watch the SEC turn into the behemoth that it uh, certainly, you know, appears destined it is to be, and a revenue gap is only going to continue to grow. Um, but also I've seen some takes out there that I think are, you know, a, a little too pessimistic for the situation uh, as well. So we'll, uh, oh, you we'll think we're going to have a season? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're going to quit football in the next 48 months. Uh, I'll put it that way. So 
um, you know, let's uh, let's talk about it. See if we can't make sense of it uh, for a little bit. But this is not going to be a, uh, you know, this is not going to be the conference realignment podcast or anything else like that. We'll we'll uh, we'll talk. We'll follow it, and uh, you know, we'll we'll certainly do all that we can to keep you all as informed uh, as we can. So, all right. Uh, I think this took the ACC. The timing of it probably took the ACC a little bit off guard. Just from chatting with some people who I believe would know, uh, I think the ACC was absolutely interested in Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, I can't prove this, so this is my, I would say, informed speculation. I would call that accurate. I would say the same interests uh, existed seven or eight years ago as well. I mean, um, the ACC and Texas have always had a, uh, you know, a a distant flirting relationship with each other, in my opinion. And the ACC also knew that that those schools didn't really seem to be in a rush to do anything. Uh, well, you could sort of logically deduce that well, the Big Twelve kind of sucks to be in because it's two teams and everybody else doesn't draw at all. Uh, like you know, they're 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 three, four, five, six teams are, are much worse as far as popularity than the ACC is. You have to kind of figure well, what what other conference might they be talking to if they're not really wanting to talk to us all that much? And the SEC or the Big Ten would be the two that would make uh, the most sense because obviously they're not going to bolt for the Pac-12 second time around. It's a great move for the SEC because not just to expand, which is sometimes good and sometimes bad, uh, but to get the two teams that they did. Uh, like I'm not going to waste y'all's time telling you that adding Oklahoma and Texas is, is good for business. Um, I'll just throw some things out there. You mentioned that that this is like catnip for people. Yeah, it 100% is. So Friday night, I demonstrated this on Twitter and I was had a long string of tweets and talking about who you should follow, who you shouldn't follow for conference realignment. And I tweeted out, source tells me that FSU has interest in the, in the SEC if it could get out of the ACC. Can it? Does the SEC have interest? I think that's HIPAA. Now, of course, the HIPAA, HIPAA part there is a joke because that day... Dak Prescott had said, uh, asking him about his vaccination status was HIPAA. Uh, so we were having some fun with that on Twitter. But here's the thing. What I tweeted is not news. Of course, FSU would have interest in joining the SEC if it could get out of the ACC. That's like a, a no-dust statement. Ingram, that tweet got 852 likes, 35 quote tweets, and 80 retweets. It's a nothing statement. I literally just asked a source of mine who would know. Hey, they have interest in the SEC, and he was like, "Yeah, if we can get out of the ACC, sure." Yeah, this is like the, it is important as as we go down this this road because I think this will probably be maybe a couple of years of discussion. You have to figure out who may or may not have information on, you know, conference realignment stuff. I may have some. I may not have some. I don't know yet. Okay, I do not know what FSU is going to do at this point. I don't know if they're going to be doing anything. They're in a, they're, they're in a conference where the grant, you know, grant of rights is locked up through 2036. And there's not just this like exit fee that there used to be uh, back under the old deal like, like Maryland paid. I do know that coaches, by the way, and student athletes do not know what's going on. Like That is a pretty much ironclad rule. The only coaches that are out there that would actually be consulted on this probably would be what? Nick and Dabo? If if like their teams were actually considering moving leagues, like they would, it would get asked and and have legitimate input um, that might be listened to. Other than that, coaches 
They're not involved in the planning of this. It's kind of above their pay grade. And they're not going to be around to be in the new conference in most situations anyway, because they're pretty transient. Where, where do you want to take this? You, you, FSU should just expand and grab like five or six teams now? The ACC? ACC uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's interesting. You know, each time this comes around, there's kind of a, you know, lessons learned and, and places where the kind of the paradigm has shifted. And um, the vast majority of people that I talk to, they, there's not, you don't expand your way out of anything at this point. If anything, you'd love to be able to contract. Uh, now that's not going to happen. It's not, not, I'm not trying to hint at something. Um, but, you know, I, West Virginia is a name I see thrown around on message boards and social media. And, and that's a nice fan base. Certainly, a, uh, a, you know, they love their state and they love their teams. But that's not, in my opinion, that's not a legitimate candidate uh, for expansion, at least not, certainly not on their own. Um, it will be <clears throat> very interesting. I think what you just said is, uh, as far as a time period, is how is what's going to happen. I think Texas and Oklahoma will probably be wrapped up more or less in the next two to three weeks. Uh, and then this is going to be an earthquake that you have to see what the the ultimate outcome is. And, and that'll take a couple of years. I, I hope that people realize uh, that, in my opinion, the SEC looks at and wants to turn basically everybody else into the minor leagues sport. Um, it will be very curious to see how some people respond. I know that uh, Clemson, with all the money that they have uh, right now and the success that they've had and uh, you know, thanks in part to the upstate of South Carolina being such a boom town over the last 25 years or so. But to the Clemson people know damn well, this is not a sustainable situation. Uh, they cannot hope to compete at the highest level and and remain in a conference that, uh, you know, is certainly as is constructed with their TV contract is not really uh, compatible with with playing athletics, particularly football. Uh, at the highest level with the revenue disparity. So um, I think, you know, to an extent, I think Florida State is, uh, to some degree, has some real blame uh, to wear in kind of where they find themselves right now. Uh, you're right that this is a, for the vast majority of this, this is a president's decision. Presidents look at things, evaluate them, make decisions as to where conferences go. Uh, but athletic directors play a massive role in this and they particularly play a massive role in um, feedback and kind of uh, uh, soliciting allies to put up fights against things like grant rights or drag their feet on grant rights. And Florida State has been a passenger for the last 15 years when it comes to really actively taking part in the business of college sports. And they have not fielded an athletic director who is fluent confident or aggressive on those subject matters uh, since David Hart left. And that is a, a disappointing thing for me to come to terms with, with a school that's built as much of its cachet and brand around athletics and football in particular, uh, that has allowed that position to kind of mm, not exactly be a focus or a point of, uh, you know, a, a, a real point of strength for it. So, in my opinion, like if you if you have Michael Alford here in the wings with the intention of naming him your athletic director in six months, nine months, twelve months, whatever, um, I would seriously consider expediting that process. Uh, do you think you can do that though? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I, I'm I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I know that I have had people who are, you know, what I consider to be 
serious decision makers in the Florida State athletic process basically refer to him as the future AD. Uh, I don't know what the timeline in, is on that or where the, you know, why that may not take place or if you're waiting to have the president officially uh, in place. But I, Florida State desperately needs somebody at the table who is fluent in this language and is familiar uh, with the business of college sports. And whether it be Alfred, whether it be whoever, uh, they need to hand the reins of the athletic department over to a professional. Cogburn's done a great job. He's not a, this is not his, you know, this is not his profession. This is not what he, uh, ultimately he was brought in to kind of cut costs, find some ways to be a little bit more efficient. And, and I think he was ultimately brought in with the idea of him being athletic director for what, maybe 10 to 18 months or something like that. And the guy's been, in um, you know, certainly been in place for much longer than that and overseen some significant moments of transition and, uh, and by all accounts has done a really good job, but Florida state needs to address the athletic position, athletic director. And uh, in my opinion, needs to address it as soon as possible. Well, I, I agree with that. I think the other, other issue that you bring up uh, as far as having to wait for the new president to officially be in is wh- where does David Coburn go, right? Is he looking to retire or uh, would he look to slide back over to the administrative side? And uh, if it's the latter, well, that move would have to be approved and you have to make sure your position there is, uh, is one that uh, you're, you're confident is, is going to be around. That's, that's kind of what, what I'll say on that. I also have a couple of guidelines just for people. If you want to fo- I know everybody loves to follow all of the, the rumors. I mean, I had my friends texting me, a couple called me about rumors from, from people out there with like seven Twitter followers, you know, <laughs> and like, Oh, if she's going to join the sec imminently. Okay. All right. But look, man, like they don't work in the game. So, and they're just, they're having fun like everybody else. So I would say another thing to consider here, this is no longer about like TV market size to the extent that it means, Hey, we need to get more, more cable boxes in this area. The big 10 took Maryland and took Rutgers a decade ago. Well, not quite a decade ago. What that was 20, 2012 or no, 2013 was the last year they were in the league. It took Maryland and Rutgers because it got cable boxes there along the Eastern seaboard. Rutgers got it a lot of the New York market for the Big Ten network that it previously did not have. Uh, Maryland got it a lot of that DC market. Nowadays, with cord cutting, the size of the TV market that you happen to play in does not particularly matter compared to the number of actual people who watch your games. That's the real difference. You need to start evaluating teams based on hey, if they were an independent, how many people would subscribe to their service? So Notre Dame, obviously, I mean, they, they have, have the, uh, um, was it Fighting Irish TV, I believe? Like that, that is extremely popular. Like it's well on its way to being much bigger than the Longhorn Network. Notre Dame would be extremely viable on a Paramount Plus, uh, which is a CBS product, full disclosure. I work for 24-7, which is a subsidiary of CBS. Uh, or on Peacock, which if you watch golf on TV, you know that NBC inexplicably puts like the last hour of golf tournaments on, on Peacock and then runs commercials against it incessantly. Uh, but so you need to kind of kind of keep in mind there. Could UCF, are, are they a viable TV product? No. Is West Virginia? No, to the extent that it, the schools in the ACC 
would make less money. I believe that the, the, the teams in the league believe this based on who I talked to. They would make less money per team if West Virginia joined. The two options to keep the ACC uh, moving forward and you know being one of the top conferences and remaining so is or would have been the Longhorns and Sooners or getting Notre Dame. Notre Dame, the ACC has an exclusive negotiating window through 2036 if it's going to join a conference. It has to be the ACC. New 12-team playoff makes it easier than ever for Notre Dame to get into the playoffs. So I don't really think that they have any kind of need to join a, a, a conference uh, and they have plenty of money. But like that's a good way to evaluate it. So if somebody says, hey, I heard these three teams, you can kind of just quickly strike that off. There's no real need to expand just to expand. In fact, in many cases, expanding uh, would likely result in less money going to FSU unless you believe that the conference has, has uh, upgraded its profile so much in recent years that it would overcome the lessened pro rata share that everybody would get from bowl games, playoff, and ultimately everybody would get more TV money, which is unlikely from what I understand if you were to add the Mountaineers or the Golden Knights or Cincinnati or uh, my, uh, my missing another team that is popular in the rumors? I'm trying to think. No, not that I can think of. I mean, uh, I don't know. Like I said, I don't think the ACC can expand its way out of this. The only the only expansion conversation is Notre Dame as a full member. Uh, Notre Dame as a full member, in my opinion, is not coming to fruition for the ACC. So really, I don't, I just don't see that as being the course of action uh, that the conference can take or will take. So, um, you know, the status quo is not a good thing for Florida State. They, they have to try to figure out a way uh, to turn this on its head in some way. You know, the ACC, I certainly understand that they love John Swafford and everything else. And I thought it's hilarious that they're naming the MVP award after him at the conference championship game and stuff. But the ACC and the schools of the ACC are in a hell of a situation and have a hell of a problem uh, that they're, you know, looking down the barrel of a, of a uh, negative revenue gun uh, for a long period of time. And, and that gap is only going to increase. So, um, you know, I, the, <clears throat> I'm not saying you start a war with your own conference, but I don't know as a member of the ACC that Florida state's really going to be able to, uh, to bring in the type of money compared to their peers that they think is necessary. So uh, it'll be fascinating to see what happens over the next, uh, two, four, six years. I think this is a something that'll take quite a while. But to me, this feels like uh, you're actively moving to a, a landscape of two uh, major conferences, a power, you know, super conferences, whatever you want to call it. Um, so where I think we're both in agreement and where I would tell you, you know, if you want to be concerned with this, as as I am to an extent, I'll be I'll be honest with you guys. I think that's fine. I certainly wouldn't allow yourself to be consumed with paranoia or uh, this thought that, look, as Florida State's not Texas Tech. It's not Wake Forest. It's not, uh, you know, whatever other school, University of Connecticut. Florida State's not going to be just left on the outside of some, uh, you know, major reconstruction of college football. Uh, they'll have their place at the table. Uh, I just think that the current structure structure is one that's not friendly to Florida State and that ultimately they're going to probably need some kind of serious 
you know, I don't know if Armageddon's a proper word, but you certainly need some kind of serious restructuring of the landscape and maybe one where the ACC is not, uh, I don't know if they're not in existent, but they're certainly not uh, have their place in the college, uh, you know, college football or college athletic landscape that they do. I, I agree with you on that. Um, to the extent that, that right now it looks like we could be heading to you know, two major conferences. But there are a whole lot of things to consider. Here. Number one is the keyword right now. We could easily be going to three conferences or four conferences, right? I don't think that we're going to get to a point to where we only have, at least not the point when I'm doing this podcast. And I don't plan to stop doing this anytime soon. I don't think we're going to get to a point where, where we only have 30 teams that are are playing at a certain level and everybody else is in a different division. You know, um, I could see it maybe getting down to like 50, but I think probably, you know, 60-ish is a little bit more likely. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that FSU and their issues are solved or Clemson's issues are solved or North, North Carolina's or whomever's. I also think we really have to not sit around and wait. Like You don't have an option but to sit around and wait because you're not going to get out of this ACC deal anytime soon, necessarily. Uh, but but certain things could happen, right? Didn't you hear the contract wasn't signed, bud? Oh, Lord. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure ESPN would do a billion-dollar deal uh, with, without... <laughs> the, old, the old boys from Yale Law forgot to have you uh, sign that contract. So, yeah, you can walk away from it. No, or because there's no just, paper copy in the office yeah, until I have to. We're just having, having a laugh at a couple couple rumors that we've seen sent our way and floated out there. But didn't mean to interrupt you. So, what about... Um, like a like a Google or an Amazon or a Netflix or Twitter or hell, what about NBC or Fox or CBS? Right, CBS. Uh, you know they, they didn't end up bidding as as high as ESPN did on the on the SEC rights. They they got that those SEC rights for an absolute steal for a long time, and then those came up to bid and they went nuts. Much like the ACC, uh, ESPN got a pretty good deal, not, you know, not an insane deal, but a pretty good deal on the ACC rights. There's also a lot of junk in the ACC you have to buy, right? Like you have to buy Syracuse and Boston College and Virginia and, and Pitt and a bunch of schools where they just don't move the needle football-wise. Uh, whereas the SEC just has so many properties that people care about. The ACC has like four, I guess. That really move the needle, and I'm counting UNC with with basketball mm. there. Um, and UNC is investing who the, in football. Who the fourth was in football, but yeah, yeah. I, I think the combo football basketball makes UNC worthy of it um, as far as moving the needle. But like they like you know UNC on a national game is not necessarily going to kill it. Certain things could could easily come into the picture here, where maybe ESPN decides to go all in with the SEC. Maybe it wants to sell off some of the ACC network, right? And sell those rights away to somebody. People are going to be bidding on rights coming up. CBS is not going to go and not have any kind of college ball rights. NBC, who knows how long they'll go with, with, with having only Notre Dame. Fox has a part of the Big 12 contract, right? Do you think Fox is real happy with what happened to the Big 12? Probably not. But 
there's going to be some sort of renegotiation there because those teams in the Big 12 are going to be taking the hair, like the haircuttiest of haircuts now that Texas and Oklahoma are likely gone. So Fox is going to have some more, more money to throw around. And that's not even mentioning all of the sort of alternative investment solutions or you know, alternative streaming type products out there that will likely enter the market at some point. Especially because if it's sort of a, an a la carte model that we, we can achieve differentiation and actual decent analytics on who watches what, those, per, like those companies are very well equipped to figure that kind of stuff out. So this stuff can change fairly quickly, even though it looks right now like the ACC is pretty locked down for the foreseeable future. All right, man. I mean, I think... I think we said uh, our collective piece on that for the time being. Certainly, you know, something that we will uh, will continue to talk about, monitor. Like we said, this is something that we've uh, familiar with the subject matter, and we'll try to uh, bring y'all as informed an opinion as what's going on. So, uh, one thing we're always fortunate to be able to lean on is uh, Matt Thompson and his team. Great people at Madison Social Township. Uh, just you know, properties that we're familiar with, fortunate to uh, be able to have a beer or two before a game or a spring game or anything else. Thrilled to uh, try out Charlie Park for the first time in about five weeks here. Uh, so great people at Madison Social. Thank you so much. You, the listeners, uh, saw a couple of our listeners stop by recently after uh, Florida State camp and uh, tagged us on Twitter. So great to, for us to be able to continue to prove con- proof of concept all these years later and uh, ever so fortunate from our perspective that we can brag on uh, properties and people that uh, you know we're so fond of and have had such a positive experience working with. No doubt about it, man. A uh, couple shout outs here and some condolences. Uh, shout out to, uh, to Vince Williams for retiring. I believe he's NFL pension qualified, right? After, after a nice long career. Yeah. Yeah. That's I believe he's, he's very much qualified. Just a tip of the hat to a guy that got, you know, everything out of, uh, out of his physical ability and more. And, uh, was certainly, you know, really beloved, uh, it during his time in, in Pittsburgh and we wish Vince nothing but the best. I mean, hard for me to, I don't want to say hard for me to believe, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought that Vince Williams would have nearly the longevity in the NFL that he did. And he worked his ass off and he played for the Steelers for a long time and good for him. Uh, he'll have a, a nice pension coming his way. And we certainly wish Vince the, uh, the best of post post football life. You know, if, uh, I talked to an NFL guy one time and he was talking, he's a backup and he said, Hey, like every year they draft somebody younger, bigger, faster than me comes in. And if it's a first rounder, I'm probably screwed, but you know, sixth, seventh rounder, I show up on time. I know exactly what I'm doing. I put my head down. I don't get DUIs and stuff. And you know what? Ultimately, the defensive coordinator keeps me because he doesn't want to have somebody who's going to kill him if he has to put him in the game because the starter gets hurt. And he can just trust me over one of these young guys who maybe shows up late and is not as professional and just doesn't know what he's doing quite as much. If you're a megastar, you can get away with a whole lot in the NFL. If you're anything but that, they don't let you cut a whole lot of corners. Vince Williams, for all accounts, did all the little stuff. And that helped him last in the career because he was a good athlete by college standards. Not a freakish athlete by NFL standards. And, and he, he lasted because he worked 
understood the defense and they could count on. Uh, let me see here. You you want to uh, you want to discuss Buckhalter? Uh, yeah, we'll discuss Buckhalter before we do on a on a, a kind of a I don't know if you call this lighthearted note or whatever else, but uh, another tip of the hat to former linebacker Reggie Northrup, one of my favorite players of of the past ten years or so. Uh, really turning into uh, or appears as though he's on the verge of having a, a pretty decent MMA career. I believe he's three and zero now. Uh, I think Freddie Stevenson uh, was in the crowd and had a video of his most recent fight. So if you want to go and look at Freddie's Twitter page, you can see some video of Reggie. But nicknamed the Black Dragon, uh, great nickname there. And uh, Reggie very much appears to have found, uh, you know, found something that he's on the verge of having a decent amount of success with. So best of luck to you. Uh, great to see guys have success post Tallahassee. Uh, if if the league doesn't work out for him and uh, Reggie Northrup, uh, you know, surprise surprise, packs a pretty pretty powerful punch and is uh, on his way to develop himself uh, a nice little career in the MMA. Looks like. All right, uh, let's go ahead and get to some listener questions here. Uh, well, we do we do want to mention Ball Halter uh, oh, real shoot. quickly before okay. we do. So uh, the passing of a guy that, and I've referenced this a lot recently, but I, I got into recruiting when I was nine years old. I'd cut articles out of the paper, uh, list of any kind were, were like crack for me. And Bullholter with his, I think he had a top 15 in the state of Florida, top 250 regional. He was, he was one of the guys that, uh, you know, I, I would really look for and try to cross compare some lists and, uh, he passed recently. I don't know that anybody is, is kind of an old school guy when it comes to the state of Florida recruiting. So just wanted to mention that. Awesome, man. All right. Uh, Patreon questions. Patreon.com slash Nolcast. Again, asking a question here is not guaranteed gets read on the show. It just gets you to the front of the list. Uh, if you don't want to take your chances with that, email Nolcast at gmail.com. Also on Twitter, Instagram, just Nolcast at Nolcast. We certainly appreciate everybody supporting the show. You guys helped make it possible. Derek Blevins says, uh, recently, Brendan Sinone, shout out Brendan uh, of Knowles 24-7. I just saw him uh, this week at AC Media Day, uh, published a piece updating the weight gains and losses of the roster. While I don't usually pay too much attention to this type of information ahead of a fall camp, I couldn't help but notice Dante Luke just checked in at 340 pounds. Is this as concerning as I think it is? I can't imagine this is an ideal weight for him. Uh, Derek, you're right. Yeah. Uh, 340 is not, uh, not the ideal weight. I wouldn't say, um, I don't think he needs to lose 40 pounds, but certainly I think he'll be looking to trim down some, uh, before fall camp, if he is going to gonna earn that starting job. And I think he has more competition for that starting job. Now that Riley Gibbons is in town. Craig asks the next question. He says, after all of the modifications to the offense for Jordan Travis last season, do we think Travis is capable at this point of running Norvell's offense, assuming that McKenzie may not make it through the year? Or what if Travis ends up winning the job outright? Also, how long will Florida State modify its system for wins before it has to commit to the future? I'm not sure what he's asking there. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay, I, I get it. Yeah. yeah. Um, how long will it have to modify for recruiting to improve the point of being able to of being capable of running the system. Lastly, in your opinions, after the season, who is the young quarterback that will move into the quarterback one uh, position, or is it possibly another transfer? Wow. So, uh, Craig, I, I love these questions. These are these are really fun. I'll just take them kind of as as you, you put them. Uh, Ingram, stop me if you disagree on these. 
Do we think Travis is capable of running Norvell's offense, assuming KZ may not make it through the year, or Travis ends up winning the job outright? Well, if, if Travis wins the job outright, which I think is unlikely but not impossible, they will certainly do more modifying it you know, to specifically to fit him. Um, they are not going to run the quarterback as much with Mackenzie Milton in there. When Mackenzie Milton was healthy, he was a good athlete. He was still not nearly as athletic as Jordan Travis. Mackenzie Milton almost lost his leg. I really don't think he's going to be a great runner. I'll happily admit I was, I was wrong if I end up being wrong on that. But, I mean, just how many yards that Mackenzie Milton runs for? Less than 212 yards. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, so, is Jordan Travis capable of running the exact offense that they want Mackenzie Milton to run? Last year, uh, I would say no. It is difficult for me to judge exactly how much uh, improvement he has made as a passer, but I, I would be skeptical that he has improved that much as a passer. If he has, then he should probably just be a starter, right? So, again, we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, how long will FSU modify its system for wins before it has to commit to the future? This, I think this is a really interesting question, and it really gets into the 2022 season. FSU signing A.J. Duffy at this point, and he's not really flirting with anybody else, of which I'm aware. They already have Chubba Purdy and Tate Rodemaker on the roster. Do you, do you start Jordan Travis in 2022? If you do, you're running a system that involves probably more QB run than I would think Mike Norvell would want to run ideally. I think you do, unless one of the young guys arrives and just absolutely kills it. Now You're, you're going to want to work in the young guys, too as well to get ready for the future. But I would say 2022 needs to be the last year where uh, where you're running something that doesn't look totally like the offense that you want to run in an ideal world. Come 2023, you probably need to be running completely what you've been recruiting to. I think Duffy's got a pretty decent chance of being your starter year one, personally. But yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's entirely possible. Uh, we're just going to have to see, but I, I think we would both agree that 2022 is probably the last year you'd really want to risk doing something wildly different. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, both in the standpoint that that'll probably be last year with Travis, and Travis is a, I mean, he's an exceptional runner. It's uh, it's almost I'm almost hesitant to say that when you're describing a quarterback because it, it feels almost like a backhanded compliment. But go look at some is he of the, the best playmaker on the team. Uh, undoubtedly, in my yeah. opinion. I mean, go look at some of the explosive metrics in college football. Jordan Travis is one of the more dynamic people with the ball in his hand in, in you know, in the sport last year. Uh, you don't, you've got to try to find a way uh, to take advantage of that while you've got somebody like that on your roster. Now, you obviously, you look to recruit people that are uh, are special and, and you'll have, you know, guys that are more complete quarterbacks, but you don't, you know, I think you've got to, you know, you've got a, a pretty unique skill set here that you've got to try to take advantage of. I, I, I agree with you on that 100%. I, look, I, I, I'm not going to give away exactly how many snaps I think Jordan is going to have because we still have to do our snap count and draft. But I think both of our bids are going to be pretty high on that. Do I think FSU will take a, a quarterback transfer? I do not, actually. At, at least not one who would, would have eyes on the starting job. I, I can't rule out them taking like a Hornerberg thing if you had multiple guys transfer out after this year. Perhaps you get a walk-on to transfer in or something like that. Maybe one who wants to get into coaching. But no, I, I don't think that they're going to be in, in the transfer market, at least not right now, I don't believe so, for QB in 22. 
All right. So um, we've got a couple more questions that we'll get to tonight, but we do want to thank our friends at Congruity. Uh, Matt Lewis and his team are one uh, great to work with. And one of the things that is, uh, that I found to be the most enjoyable about this, bud, is the, you know, the relationships that we develop with sponsors. And uh, I called Matt a couple of weeks ago just to catch up with him about how things were going. And we ended up spending about five minutes talking about the podcast and business and about 30 minutes talking about uh, his son. His son has qualified, uh, or his son's team uh, went 4-0 uh, last weekend in the uh, Florida, I guess, version of the Little League World Series tournament. So they will represent the state, uh, I believe, uh, August 3rd. So we'll give shouts out to the uh, Martin County North Little League team of Palm City, Florida. Uh, just great to hear. Uh, father's perspective of, of watching his son go through a weekend like that. And uh, those guys are will be representing the state in Warner Robins 1st of August. So uh, I made a joke that when you and I were starting the podcast, uh, when the, I've always been uh, fortunate and excited to work with Bud, but one of the few times I've had pause about it is when Bud would tell me that he was like uh, familiar with the Little League uh, World Series qualification process because it allowed him to get a head up <laughs> In gambling, he put some heavy money down there on uh, some of those twelve-year-olds because you could find talents that just uh, you know miss were mismatched with uh, with what their respective peers. Have we ever told this story on the pod? I think I've referenced it. I don't know that we've necessarily gone into detail. I think the statute of limitations is up. Back in the day, there may or may not have been some offshore locations that would offer uh, odds and all kinds of things. Little League World Series is one of. I think Matt Lewis will appreciate this story. And uh, some of these sports books, shockingly, did not survive because even though you really should never go out of business as a sports book, some of them did not have the best people operating them. And uh, well, in little back in the day, if you uh, if you had if you had a kid throw X number of innings, he had to have mandatory rest of you know Y number of days. And I had volunteered coach little league before, so I knew this. The sports books in Costa Rica, uh, offshore or Gibraltar or wherever they were set up, they didn't seem to know this. So they would price not all, but almost all of the games as if the ace was throwing for each team. You know what I mean? Because the ace typically started game one of the World Series and then they would just kind of price it out from there. It, just a very limited amount of research could tell you uh, that you could just find the records from the regionals and the state you know, championships and whatnot. To see like how good the second and third starters are. And then you would get some situations where certain teams that were, you know, three to one favorites should have actually been one to three in the opposite direction <laughs> because their number two pitcher, I don't want to say a 12 year old sucked, but just was not maybe the quality of their, you know, 12 year old who ended up having a mustache and was like 6'4, 210. That was extremely profitable for sure. Uh, and ultimately they figured it out and, well, some of the books you didn't figure it out just went out of business, not due to taking little league bets, obviously, but their some of their sloppiness kind of extended it into other uh, other avenues. Uh, but yeah, uh, betting on the league world series for a time was was kind of like stealing. <laughs> no, well, uh, you know, one one bet you can feel real confident is pairing with the people at Congruity. Uh, you can go to congruityhr.com or email Matt at Knowles at uh, congruityhr.com. Great people. They did sign up a third client uh, 
recently. I'm excited to tell you more about him uh, on the next podcast. But shout out to Matt, his son. Uh, we certainly wish and send you guys the best of luck next weekend. And uh, you know, whether or not Bud has any interest on the uh, on the game, we'll uh, we'll keep between ourselves. So uh, let's see. Next question here is from Tom. Tom says, "I know we would all have Bobby Bowden ranked number one in our hearts, but with the news of his terminal diagnosis, where would you rank uh, one Saint Robert Kleckler Bowden on the all-time college football scale? I assume Saban is number one, but Bobby should be near the top, in my opinion. You know, Tom, uh, we appreciate your message, uh, your uh, Patreon support, and yeah, um, I don't think I'm being a homer to say that Bobby Bowden is one of the f- four biggest, most important figures in the history of the sport. And uh, I would have him right there in that group. I mean, I, I think uh, rightly so. Uh, Nick will Nick will be and in, in, is almost certainly at number one for uh, any list that's being put together. Uh, but Bobby was such a transformational uh, character in the sport. Uh, obviously, you'd love to have seen him be able to win one or two more national titles to really give that resume the the uh, proper reflection of, of how important he was in the sport and how dominant he was during his time. Uh, but yeah, I would have Bowden as, as amongst the top three or four coaches of all time. I, I think I would agree with you 100% because he, he did it at a program. You can certainly argue that the state of Florida was changing rapid, you know, rapidly with uh, about a generation uh, to two generations having been there after the advent of you know, widespread air conditioning and mosquito control, which really helped the state of Florida. But he, somebody still had to go down there and take advantage of that and build up a program, not for nothing, but certainly the program that had been down after Bill Peterson did, it, you know, did well with it uh, a couple of coaches prior. Made it into a, a dominant force that really the only one that in my mind uh, who is clearly above Bobby Bowden is, is Nick Saban. And I think you could really you could put him second. You probably what in that kind of second to seventh range, I would say overall. I think the longevity and the titles have to matter, uh, and and he has both. So I I would have him kind of kind of in that range, and that's incredible for a sport that's been played for you know, 100 and, 140 years now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll uh, spare everybody me complaining the fact that he's not the uh, considered the all time winningest coach or whatever else at this point, but. Uh, yeah, a guy that, uh, you know, certainly we all send it his best to he and his family, a guy that's as, as important to the, uh, you know, the brand and recognition of Florida State University as anybody had ever walked through the door and uh, legitimately, you know, one of the best to ever do it. No doubt, man. All right. Uh, Connor, thanks for your question. We already, I believe, answered most of those in our discussion on the, uh, uh, on the discussion of conference realignment. So, uh, Rashia, is it Rashia? I believe, uh, Rashia, if, if I'm not pronouncing your name correctly, I want to get it right. So, uh, go ahead and DM us through the Patreon account if I'm not, if I'm not pronouncing it right, but I know we, that she's asked a couple questions before. So, um, or is it Rashia? I believe we said Rashia, but yeah, please do let us know, uh, whether, yeah, do you guys have a name that might be pronounced multiple ways? Just you know, l- let us know pronunciation. We'd like to get it right. And we would, we, we want to get everybody's name right. I promise you that. All right. Uh, so uh, she asks, uh, with fall camp approaching, uh, I wanted to know what are some things you think the offense and defense need to improve on and how likely they are to accomplish them. Uh, can good coaching or game management make this team more competitive? I'm assuming that with last year and a full season to self-scout, we should see better in-game adjustments. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I think 
I think in an ideal world, the in-game adjustments part is you know, is is fair. Um, you have to figure out kind of what the what the learning curve is for this staff with this team compared to other staffs with other teams. Certainly, everybody was impacted last year by the pandemic and uh, you know not having a, a typical off season. But I think you can also argue that coaches who were in year one last year uh, probably had a, a bit more of a disadvantage as far as learning their personnel. Uh, offense, excuse me, offensively, uh, FSU has got to get better at taking advantage of some of the defensive looks that allow them to basically get free yards on screens, short throws, things like that, right? This was not a team last year that was really capable of driving consistently. And eventually teams would look to take away the explosive play and dare FSU to be consistent, especially consistent with the pass. And uh, in many cases, they were not able to do so. The other thing I would point out on offense they have to be better at is they they were pretty much just dead in the water anytime you had an obvious passing down. I'm sure we can all think of one or two that they were able to convert, uh, but FSU must do a better job of its pass protection and getting the ball out in rhythm when it faces an obvious passing down. When, when, when you know the defensive line is pinning its ears back, when you know the blitz may be coming, that type of situation, they have to do a better job of just playing together with their protection schemes and of getting open and throwing the ball. Will that happen? I lean to yes. I don't think it's a slam dunk, but I think it will be somewhat better. What do you see on defense? Oh man, <laughs> defense is uh, is there's room such, for improvement. It's so much room for improvement that I'm almost hesitant to. Uh, I, what what I want to really see on defense is what I believe is full collective buy-in. I mean, I, I want to feel. I want to see a team that feels like it is totally fluent in what's being asked of it and is making, you know, smart decisions and, and reflective of uh of broader coaching of a defensive unit. And I know I've spoken in kind of vague ambiguity there, but there's not I mean there's there's so much work to be done or improvement to be made on that side of the ball uh that I'm I'm hesitant to get into real specs until we until we see what it really looks like. I mean I don't want to throw uh all the stones in the world at Adam Fuller after last year. It's a really tough year to get in. You had some collective, uh, you know, buy-in issues uh, from the roster, and uh, we'll be very interested to see what uh, what the broader unit looks like and and how it plays as a, you know, as a as a collective bunch. So that's uh, that's what I'm looking for for the defense. Uh, you know, one of the things that we did love from, or I don't want to say love, we liked from Mike Norvell for the vast majority. Thought he made smart decisions uh, as far as uh, fourth down math. Thought he did a pretty good job of managing a game clock. I don't remember anything egregious there. Um, I liked that Norvell uh, appears at least to be a very engaged emotional coach, but not to the point to where emotion boils over and you lose yourself uh, in, a, in a moment or you lose perspective as far as time or anything else. Um, that's kind of what I'm, I'm looking for from... Uh, from a head coach in, in year number two. I, I agree with you on that. I, I think defensively, it took a while for them to figure out what some of these guys could handle individually and then also what they could handle as far as what you're putting on them scheme-wise and technique-wise as a unit. Uh, in the second half of the year, there were, I guess, like some glimpses of things they could handle. Like you saw a little bit better coordination uh, between the linebackers and the defensive line. 
as far as some of their run fits. Safety run fits were a major issue last year. I think that is uh, a large part of a lot of these you know, gains on first down that should have been a yard or two or three and becoming eight, eight to 10 yards. So uh, perhaps Robinson coming in, playing that nickel spot will be able to help them there some. I think I, I, I do expect that this will be an improved defense this year simply because of more comfort in the scheme, personally. I, I, maybe I'm crazy to think that. That is not necessarily me endorsing Adam Fuller as a great coach. Uh, I stand by what I said when he was hired, that he had done a nice job improving the defenses that he had coached from what they had done previously before he got there. So if that pattern can hold, uh, certainly it did not hold <laughs> in year one in Tallahassee. But if that pattern can hold, uh, then you will see a, an improved defense, perhaps uh, substantially so. Yeah, um, linebackers, I would love to see what you're able to do there. And I mean, there were times last year where that looked like uh, as confused a unit as possible. And and some of that's probably coaching. Some of that's probably new scheme. Uh, some of that may be some of the personnel that you have and, and maybe a lack of confidence as to how much uh, you can ask from them as far as a you know diagnosis and, and reactions of a play. So uh, curious what that looks like, and uh, you know linebacker will be one area that I'm uh, particularly focused on because I, I think you got a lot of work to do there. 100% agree on that. All right, man. This is uh, we went long, but I, I enjoyed this. Had a lot of things to talk about. Thoroughly enjoyed it myself. Uh, hopefully, we'll have this out to you guys, the listener, first of the week, and uh, we'll kind of get back into our schedule as. Football season rapidly approaches. So uh, for myself, for Bud, uh, as always, this uh, is a pleasure for us to do or fun for us to do. If you have a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes or uh, wherever you may find us, know that it is greatly appreciated. And uh, we'll be back talking with you in the near future. Thank you so much. This has been the Nolcast. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith. Music by Judson Wright and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.